Welcome to the How the Why. With John Barrett Ingalls. Exploring and celebrating the creative process and the creative purpose of authors, editors, and artists that make up and inspire the Black Hill Press family. Black Hill Press is dedicated to the novella. We believe a great story is never defined by its length. Let's get creative. Welcome to the How, the Why, brought to you by Black Hill Press. I'm John Barrett Ingalls, and today we are connected via Skype with Zach Dodson, uh, designer extraordinaire, founder of Featherproof Books, and uh, author as well. Uh, Zach, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. Glad so, to be here. So uh, I, I love... You know, the fact that I get to have these interviews with people all over the country and uh, you're my second international uh, conversation and I'm, I'm, we're, we're connected via Skype and, and you're in Helsinki, Finland, which is pretty awesome. How is life over there right now for you? Cold or? Cold, cold and dark. Um, the last 10 years I was in Chicago, which is also cold. Um but the the difference is the dark. So it's it's dark as I speak to you now, and it's been dark most of the day. So that's taken some getting used to. It's yeah, that's right. I would you get the uh, the uh, long summer days and the uh, long winter nights. Like uh, how how many hours of daylight do you see really? Well, it's better now. Um, I guess it's maybe like five or six. Ooh, weird. Yeah. But the thing is, and I didn't know this, no one told me this, it, it's Helsinki where it's situated, it's right on the coast, so it's also very cloudy. So um, even during the day, there's not a lot of sunlight. In the newspaper, it, they counted the number of hours uh, that the sun was visible in Helsinki in November, which was 12. Wow. For the whole month. Wow. So it's, uh, yeah, yeah, it's strange. <laughs> I'm sure that would take a lot to get used to. Um, well, we're going to get in eventually to what brought you there, but let, let's, let's, let's take it back uh, to the beginning. I mean, you, you are this amazing designer. You, you uh, uh, design not just the covers, but the, the entire layout of, of books for Featherproof Books and for uh, other publications. What came first in your life? Was it the storytelling writer gene that popped up or this artist designer gene? Yeah, I guess, well, I guess the the, maybe not the storyteller, maybe the reader. Hmm. Uh, was always first, you know, I always loved reading. And I guess I, I wrote a lot, a lot too. A, a design I kind of stumbled into 
um, after college when I was looking for, you know, a, a job to kind of uh, make some money. So I just, I don't know, I'd always, I guess I'd always drawn to and, and been interested in visual things. And, and so I sort of learned the, you know, Photoshop and InDesign and the programs really quickly and kind of jumped into um, design for for a career. But um, yeah, I, I kept steering back towards books or I was always very interested in designing books and um yeah now I've I've really been able to marry the two in a lot of ways which has made me happy. Did you go to school for design? I did very briefly. I went for a year at one of those like um uh you know they show the commercials late at night on TV it's like become a refrigeration repairman oh, yeah. or a graphic designer <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it was either going to be refrigerator repair or graphic design. Well, so glad you <laughs> went with the graphic design. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So I went to school for that, and then and then many years later, I did end up going back and getting a master's at the School of the Art Institute in Chicago. Um, and I took a lot of design there, but I was officially in the writing program. They've got a, a really wonderful writing program. Now, Featherproof. Let's let's jump into the starting of Featherproof, which I, your your somewhat mission statement is amazing. My favorite line in it is, "We publish whatever we want," yeah. um, which is amazing, and I think it's bold. And I have a feeling that a lot of publishers wish they could just write that. But uh, how did that get started? How did Featherproofs Featherproof books find its legs? Yeah, well, you know, that is a mission statement, I, I think, was created just to let us off the hook forever. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, Featherproof started, um, I think it was nine years, or it might be ten years ago now, uh, in Chicago, my friend Jonathan Messenger and I uh, decided to start a small press, knowing nothing about publishing or um, small press at all, but we were both working at... Um, Time Out Chicago, a weekly magazine there, and I was a designer, and he was the editor for the book section. Um, so, you know, we became friends and, and talked about books all the time, and there was a great and still is a great uh, live um, literary scene in Chicago. So there's just a ton of reading series, and a lot of people go out to them, and they're amazing writers that live there, and the thing that they do is perform. Um, and at the time, there were not any small presses that were kind of publishing these, these, um, these kind of amazing writers that we were hearing in the bars of Chicago all the time. So we decided, you know, why not, why not us? I mean, there was a lot of, we were very naive, which I think was, was helpful. If we had known just a little bit more, we probably wouldn't have tried to start a small press. So <laughs> Now, the, the design elements in all of the, are, are prevalent in everything that you've published. Was that something that when you w were starting, you knew that that was going to be an important part of uh, the works that you published? Um, definitely, definitely. I mean, I, I sometimes I think that starting Featherproof was an excuse for me to design books, which is what I really wanted to do. And I didn't know how to get in touch with anybody who would pay me to do that. Um, I didn't know how to do that as a job. So uh, if I published them myself, then I was certainly allowed to design them. Uh, 
So yes, that, I think that was always there from from the beginning. And I think I I hadn't been designing very long when we started, so it was also uh, you know it's also been a learning process. I want to be clear for our listeners. I'm not just talking about you do the cover art. Like you're actually designing the layout of the books. Like I'm going to take, for example, Scorch Atlas, which it, the pages are charred. Uh, there, there, there's one part that's looks like it's splattered with blood. Like the design elements are, are throughout the entire book, which is such a, a cool element. And it, it's kind of like, I don't know, it takes me back to like, uh, Marshall McLuhan's medium is a message or I feel something in, I don't know, something reminiscent of the, the sixties in these design. Mm. What was some of your inspiration for, uh, uh, taking the book and making the actual whole book into a, a work of art or, uh, the universe in miniature and miniature and making it into this mobile, um, which I, I wish, you know, I don't have a visual element. I'll have to send people to your your page so they can look at how cool these are. But, like, the entire thing is a design. The entire Yeah, form. yeah. It folds out into a mobile. Yeah, that was really fun to do. I mean, in both of those cases, or really in all of the cases, the inspiration is, is the writing, is the book itself. Um, mm. Blake Butler is a fantastic writer, and he creates um, in that book and in his other works such strange, um, dark, familiar, yet foreign worlds um, that are really arresting. And I think, and then Patrick Somerville, he's so clever and playful uh, and just brilliant and human. Um, And so with those, with the books, you know, I, I think I really want the design to respond to the text um, to to support it and to respect it, of course. But um, um, I don't know, writing a book takes so much work. Mm-hmm. It's so hard. It takes so much time. And um, I think reflecting that somewhat in the design of the object, taking time and, and, and making thoughtful choices that really make the book look more like what it is. I think with all of these books, my goal was to try and make them look like themselves as much as possible. Um, and figuring out what that was by, you know, you know, publishing them, I got to read them many times, of course. And then all of our books, we've worked very, very closely with the author. Um, so I think that that's a really big, that's an essential um, component, making sure that the book looks like itself to the author, who knows it better than anyone. Um, but yeah, it's it's fun. Behind the scenes uh, moment, the blood in Scorch Atlas is actually chocolate syrup. <laughs> if you're filming a horror movie in black and white, mm-hmm. chocolate syrup makes perfect blood. Just. Yeah, I, I remember back in uh, when I was a kid, I used to reenact Michael Jackson's Thriller with my sister. <laughs> and we'd fill our mouths with chocolate syrup and let it pour out like we were zombies. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things you learn as a kid. Oh, chocolate yeah. syrup looks like blood. Yeah. Um, so you get these manuscripts. And, and, and one of the other things that uh, Featherproof was big on is 
nepotism, that you publish works of your friends or friends of friends. So you get someone that sends you their manuscript as a designer and you read through, are you already seeing how it's going to turn into this little work of art or how many read-throughs do you go to like figure out, oh, I'm going to make the cover into a mobile. Hmm. Well, that wasn't the original design for that particular book. It was this um, kind of set of plastic pieces that you could uh, put together a universe. I don't know. I guess it depends. I think sometimes I have ideas reading them. Sometimes I don't. But I, the first step is always seeing what the author's ideas are because sometimes you have you have strong images you know um as you're writing that uh have been with the book since its inception or where you want to see reflected somehow so you know some some authors know just what they want and we're able to do that pretty quickly some books we've had a hundred different um variations or or angles on a cover till we finally found the right one um, some authors are like, yeah, I'm happy with whatever you do. Some want to be very involved. So it kind of runs the gamut. Mm. Um, but in terms of nepotism, I should say, that's certainly true. I think that was put on our site by the new publisher of Featherproof, who's Tim Kinsella, um, who is a friend. Uh, so in a sort of nepotistic way, he is now in charge of the main duties for running the press, and um, I'm just doing the design now. So I no longer do as much of that publishing stuff. Um, and but, but you're still actively... Nepotistic. <laughs> <laughs> you're still actively participating with the design of uh, whatever is going to be released next. And uh, um, is it difficult for you to... Uh, I mean, I know with technology, obviously, we're talking thousands of miles away over Skype, but is it is it difficult to be a part of that process being in, in Finland? Um, no, not, not too much. And I think, you know, I mean, when I moved here, I moved here about six months ago. I, I left Featherproof in Chicago with Tim, and I think that that was the right decision in terms of um, it just belongs there. It's part of that. Uh, community, I think, in, in many ways. And I think that I'd run out of steam with um, a lot of the other things that go with publishing. So it's, it is good for me to be at a remove from, um, oh, some of the parts of, of running Featherproof that were hard for me, like being a business person. Uh, yeah. And the, it's easy to do the design, you know, that's just talking to the author and then I go off and I make art and I send it to them. So, um, that part is easy to do long distance. Now with, uh, your own works like, um, uh, uh, boring, 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 boring. I'm never going to give it enough borings. I don't think, <laughs> um, it's very boring. <laughs> um, as far as a, a, author slash artist designer how did you approach that book like having it's not you're not designing for somebody else's book you're taking your own story your own novel and then figuring out the best way to lay it out and display it and incorporate your art how did you go about 
because this seems like such a unique, it, it's really its own thing. And maybe you can help describe exactly what the layout looks like to our listeners. Yeah, what it looks like is, uh, I don't know, it kind of looks like um, chaos, not in a particularly <laughs> good way. I think I, I, being the designer and the author both in that particular instance, meant that I, I really had no rules or, or constraints and I just kind of, um, uh, you know, let whatever fly. Uh, which you know, in retrospect, it might have it might have been good to have some constraints, but um, but yeah, I think the, the idea was very uh, kind of expressive typography and layout. Each character has um, their own font, um, their handwritten elements, and kind of design elements all over the book, and um, it was also designed as a series of posters. So you know, books are printed on these giant sheets of paper, these signatures. Um, which are then folded up and bound between two covers and then cut to form a paperback book. So I kind of designed the book at the poster level so that um, when the sheets came off the printer, it was a, both a series of posters which contained the whole text of the book mm. and also um, later bound down into the book. So, yeah, I don't know. It was it was an experiment. And... Um, an experiment conducted by a younger version of myself that <laughs> doubts about now, but it was, uh, it was fun. I don't know. Well, I mean, looking at it, um, it's almost like you're, you're picking up somebody's journal that they're, you know, writing their story and then doodling in the corners. I mean, with more obviously if their writing was, a uh, print or you know typewriter or computer but it looks you know because it has these little elements of drawings over the words and it's very creative it's it's like i said it's it's a work of art bound in a book which you don't really see that often i mean we celebrate with black hill press we celebrate our cover artists and they're amazing talented artists I mean, that's all yeah, they get. Yeah, beautiful is covers. They get that front cover, and then the book is dedicated to the author. But this, you get it. It's as your author and your own artist. You're spreading your art throughout the entire piece. Right, and you know, in an ideal world, uh, uh, I think that like my kind of um, hope is that is that design can somehow contribute to the story itself. It can make narrative moments or make meaning in the way that design makes meaning and, and thus become an important part of the story, uh, something that's not decorative, something that's not uh, superfluous. But um, that does require a different sort of reading. And, and you know, I, some people are uncomfortable with that and want just text on the page and that all the images should come uh, sort of through the text, through description. Um, which I totally understand and um, wouldn't change that about so many books that I love. But, um, but yeah, I guess, I, you know, there's, there's um, a small tradition in publishing of, of, of sort of design moves within text. And 
I think there's potential there. I, I, and uh, I couldn't say that I would be the one to tap that potential, but I hope somebody does. I think there's, there's, there's something to be done there. There's Absolutely. moves to be made. Yeah. Well, and it's, you know, it's different than like a graphic novel where you're actually looking at the images that are helping tell the story. The design elements are just kind of adding a tone to the story that you're reading. Am I correct in saying that? It's just, yeah, yeah. It's not telling you how to read it, but it's just giving, putting you, almost putting you into the world of uh, the author slash designer. Right, right. It's different than, you know, like a, an illustration, which is a very literal picturing of, of, you know, something that's happened in the text. I mean, the, the classic example is uh, Tristram Shandy, um, you know, from 17... Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you, you know, a very early novel, and so there were kind of no rules, and uh, one of the characters, Yorick, dies, and there's just a black page to represent his death. Um, and that, to me, is the perfect kind of uh, design move within the context of the novel. It carries the weight and the meaning of the moment, um, but it's not, uh, you know, it's not text. It's a, it's a, but it's not an illustration either, right? It's a graphic kind of representation of what's happening. Right. And I feel like I, I got to uh, read a little bit of uh, your new work, which is going to be published later this year, Bats of the Republic. Is that later this year or yes october it should be knock on words which hey congratulations on that but i feel like Thanks you're taking you. these this design element to a whole new level and it actually is incorporated with the story you have old letters um translated uh from like the 1800s you have newspaper articles you have maps of this city state of uh future Texas and all incorporated to tell the story. So it's, it's, it's taking that level of setting a tone and actually leading the reader in the direction that you want them to go. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about, about some of that. And I hope this time I I've given myself some, some constraints. <laughs> makes a little more sense as a design. But I mean, something like a map, you know, I love a book with a map, mm -hmm. uh, Tolkien's Absolutely. books, you know, I, I went back and referred to those. That's maps. exactly what I thought of as I was looking at this map, like, Oh yeah, this is where that is. Or, you know, same with the, uh, George R. R. Martin too. Like, ah, okay. Now I can see where the world is and you know where each different kingdom is and how far they had to travel sure sure and yeah you know it's just um a map is just yeah it's such an amazing like human accomplishment right there's so much information that you can pack into such a small space on a map and that information can be narrative information so uh you know the map just becomes this really rich storytelling device i mean it or it can be i don't know that mine is but you know tolkien's was I and mean, mm -hmm. you can you can um it can become this this part of the story or part of the story world you know well you did the same thing with the uh the family tree as well which uh i think you know if you're reading something like tolkien or uh, game of thrones you want to see that 
treat like, oh, that's how they're related. They're cousins from this. And, and you've set that up for the, both different generations in this book with your family tree at the beginning. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. But how, how did you approach, I mean, this is pretty big. You are, to, you're talking about two different times, a future time and a, a past time all around this area of, of Texas. How did you, where did the idea come from and how did you approach breaking it down into this amalgam of design and story? Yeah, well, the idea came from, well, the, the main character um, in the 1800s is a, is a naturalist who kind of travels down to uh, Texas when it was its own country. There's that weird little blip in history where the Republic of Texas existed. And um, growing up in Texas, you learn about, uh, it's kind of crazy, like in, in, in grade school, you get one year of U.S. history and one year of Texas history one year of U.S., one year of Texas. So like in my childhood mind, you know, the U.S. and Texas were of equal import. Um, so, you know, I was interested in that particular um, period of time. But uh, in southern New Mexico, not far from where I grew up in El Paso, uh, there's Carlsbad Caverns, which has this, um, which is amazing. The caverns themselves are amazing. Um, but the... Uh, the cavern is home to a huge colony of Mexican free-tailed bats, and you can go there and watch them emerge um, at dusk in the summer, and I've done that many, many times. Uh, and it's just amazing. It's just, uh, you know, a, a crazy natural phenomenon. Mm. And um, not scary at all. I mean, bats are really not scary as creatures. They're pretty um, friendly and benign and, and the giant cloud of them going over you. It, it sounds like a waterfall. It's not, there's no screeching or anything like in the movies. Um, so yeah, just thinking about that moment and thinking about experiencing that moment in the 1850s or experiencing that moment for the first time or, um, uh, you know, thinking about my own ancestors, like, yeah, you know, the me that, that existed 300 years ago, mm. was he anything like me? Right. He's got my DNA, he's got my body more or less, brain size is the same, you know. Um, how, how much of personality is some innate kind of thing, this, this DNA blueprint, and how much of it comes from cultural context, where you are and what's happening around you? Uh. But then you also create, I mean, because it's not your present it's not now you created a future you created uh rules and and uh uh you you have city states walled up and being their own entity after some disaster of some sort that forced us to have to live this way you created forms of travel it's almost like a uh uh steampunk feeling with uh, where it's phosphorus and, and steam that are, are powering, not electricity. Um, so you definitely have this imaginative view of, of what this future looks like. Where did that come from? Yeah, well, I, I don't know how imaginative it was. I mean, it feels 
to me at least, largely like stolen from other kind of sci-fi tropes. I mean, the kind of um, uh, dystopian, um, you know, kind of surveillance, mm. Big Brother-style Brother, yeah. government. So I, 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 I don't really think that I'm a, a world builder, or a very good world builder, and uh, like George R. R. Martin or Tolkien or. or um, somebody like that. So I, I think I just kind of used very familiar um, sci-fi tropes to put it in the future. Um, and then, you know, kind of look at, at uh, me or a version of me 300 years in the future. It's much more interested in the character and what happens to him than uh, the mechanics of how the future world uh, work. Of course, I, you know, I do, I did get into that a little bit because it is fun, but um, unlike some sci-fi, the project is not so much world building uh, as it is. The, it's a backdrop. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Um, so, but that yeah, does give I, you this opportunity to play with the design. Like um, you, you uh, talk about this transport uh, from Texas to Chicago, and then actually draw out what it looks like, and this is how it operates, and. Um, which I imagine would be fun as for, for the artist side of you as well to be able to create that picture. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Or, or even just the research. I think I wasted a week like, like reading about geosynchronous orbits and, and, you know, space sails and stuff like that to try and <laughs> figure out how to make it work in a, in a, like a hard sci-fi way, which I don't think that it does, but, uh, but a great waste of time, you know, like if you want to pour some of your hours down the drain, like this is a, uh, <laughs> I mean, like historical fiction plus science fiction is kind of a disaster. <laughs> uh, you know, you can wander off in any direction you, you please. Yeah. Those rabbit holes are deep. I would imagine. Yes. Um, so now running out of time, I just want to touch on one little thing we talked about before we started the interview. So with boring, 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 uh, you have, uh, You've you've given yourself the pen name of Zach Plague, and then uh, with Bats of the Republic, you're going by Zachary Thomas. Are these pen names your way of kind of entering into the story as well? Yeah, yeah, it's a little bit of that. It's kind of well, but it is mostly is embarrassing, and I'm not sure why I I persist in that uh, in that sort of experiment it it embarrasses everyone around me really but uh i don't know i i think that like um part of it well with with the boring boring book um was a jealousy of like uh sort of musicians like sid vicious who mm -hmm. can rename himself and become some kind of of character um but i do think it has to do with the story you know there's uh another moment another visual moment uh, that is included with almost every book. Um, I mean, maps aren't, but the author photo almost always is, right? And you mm. get this author photo and this little paragraph of text. And especially if you're really into a book, you reread that paragraph again and again and again. And right. you look at that photo again and you feel like you know something about that person and you connect what's happening in the book to them in some way. And you can't help but to do that. 
especially if you if you love a book, you get ideas about um, the author. Uh, but then you have such a small amount of information. So I kind of wanted to just play with with that idea a little bit um, and subvert it. I don't know. I I think it's it's. And reinvent Only. yourself too. <laughs> Rein, reinvent myself, or or you know, it's it's a way of uh, you know if if, the, if, I, if I want to uh, not take responsibility for what I've written later, it's a way to let me off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> all I'm trying to do with all this stuff is let myself off the hook. I don't know what hook I'm on, but that's the theme of of the interview, I guess. Well, I, it's it's amazing. I mean, I. The design work is great. Your storytelling is is wonderful. I, I encourage everybody to go and and check out your work at, at zachdodson.com and and go to Featherproof Books as well at featherproof.com. Um, there's some great books coming out from Featherproof next year, so um, there's some teasers for some of those on there now. Very cool, very cool. And then best of luck. I, I I'm excited about Bats of the Republic. Um, uh, you know, I only got a, a small sample of it, but it made me want more. So, uh, thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And, uh, enjoy that moonlight <laughs> <laughs> well, or the uh, couple hours of sunlight that you get. That's right. It's, it's now 12 hours till sun. So I'm just going to sit here and stare at the horizon. <laughs> This has been The How, The Why by Black Hill Press. I'm John Barrett-Ingalls. The show is produced by Kevin Stanek and yours truly, with production assistance by Sarah Becker. The music is Maya Lua by Bossa Zuzu. I wanted to thank everybody for your creativity and your inspiration, and to remind you all to keep making art. Thank you.